Hello, and welcome to This Thing Called Life, a podcast dedicated to sharing stories about acts of giving, kindness, compassion, and humanity. Your host, Andy Johnson, will introduce you to powerful stories about organ, eye, and tissue donation from individuals, families, and healthcare teams whose experiences will inspire you and remind you that while life is hard, unpredictable, and imperfect, it's also beautiful. We are so happy you're here. Now, let's join the show. Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to this thing called life. I'm your host, Andy Johnson, and I want to thank you so much for listening. And again, I just want to wish everyone a happy and healthy New Year in 2023. This is our next episode in our series, The Donation Process from the Lens of the OPO. And in this series, we're exploring how the donation process works and the different departments and people involved within the Organ Procurement Organization, or the OPO. But before we begin, uh, I want to just ask everyone to continue to pray for Damar Hamlin. He's the 24-year-old Buffalo Bills uh, football player, and I just want to say to him and his family, the communities of Buffalo and Pittsburgh, where he's from, that Cincinnati is praying for you, number three, and we will continue to pray for your healing. So with that, let's talk a little bit about our series. So far, we've talked to Erica Randall of Donation Support Services, which is where the donation process begins. And then we spoke with Christiane Adams, a donation coordinator, Jen Mayloff, a family services coordinator, Ethan Fuqua, organ recovery specialist, and Michelle Myers, a tissue recovery tech, and then Sarah Kep, quality systems manager. You can find those episodes on our website at lifepassiton.org or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Organ eye and tissue donation is deeply collaborative. Uh, we work with many different entities to facilitate this process. It takes a community uh, comprised of hospitals and hospice staff where patients pass away, the transplant centers where organ transplants occur for patients uh, who really are on the brink of death and need life-saving transplants, the OPO who facilitates the recoveries, the United Network of Organ Sharing, or UNOS, which houses the transplant waiting list. Sometimes the coroner office is involved, um, depending on the manner of death. And then there's also the funeral home who works closely with the OPO to ensure that everything is done in honor of the person who gave the gift of life um, for their service. But the really the root of everything, the beginning and the end of this process is about the person who designated themselves to be a donor or their family who made the decision. This life-saving and life-changing gift begins with yes. So the purpose of this series, as you've heard me say before, is really twofold. We want to explain more about the OPO, our role and the functionality, so that you can understand how the gifts of organ, eye, and tissue donation come to be, and really all of the intricacies that are involved in that. And then also, if you're thinking about a career change, you know, so much has happened in the last couple of years, and a lot of folks are thinking, wow, I really want to just give back in a more meaningful way through my work. This is a segment of healthcare that some people may not know about. And so we really want to open that up so that people can understand what it is we do, learn more about our donation, uh, about organ donation, and how we truly serve the community. 
So with that, I'm going to welcome my next guest, who is Miss Katie Wright. Katie is a family aftercare coordinator. Hey, Katie. How are you? Good. How are you? (laughs) I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thank you again for joining the show. Of course. And to talk about, you know, what family aftercare does kind of in this donation value chain. So why don't we start with how long have you been with Life Center? It'll be nine years next month. Oh, wow. Yeah. You're a long, you're a a long timer, (laughs) long hauler, like many of us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So what led you to begin working at Life Center? So I actually, my brother was listed on the long transplant waiting list and passed away while he was waiting and went on to be a tissue donor. Mm-hmm. So I kind of that turned our world upside down. He was young, was 32. And so I just was kind of at a crossroads in a career anyway. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to do something like you said, where you're giving back and making a difference in the world. And donation was top of mind for my family. And I was searching for jobs and came across Life Center. So, wow. So it's something very personal for you in a lot of ways. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Which has definitely been a theme in speaking with different people from different departments. A lot of people have like that personal connection. Mm -hmm. So you started out in a different department, um, actually donation support services, which back in the day when you were there was the comm center, the communication center where you were talking with families over the phone about the option for tissue and cornea donation. Yep. Right. Yeah. So then you transition over um, the life center decided we really want to create a space to really serve our donor families. uh, Once their loved one has uh, become an organized tissue donor and uh, you were actually the first part, like you started it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I remember feeling very like excited when I heard that Life Center was going to have a position for this because having spoken on the phone, doing paperwork with tissue families for almost three years and just could tell that they wanted some more support and follow up. Mm -hmm. And so I was excited to hear that that was going to become like more of a full-time focus for someone within the organization. So yeah. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. It's wonderful that you understood that need and really, you know, stepped into that role. Can you talk about what exactly you do as in in aftercare? What does that look like? Sure. So we follow up with donor families for the first 18 months following the donation. They all receive a outcome letter at around six weeks. And then we follow up every three months for those first 18 months with mailings, grief support, mm-hmm. um, thinking of you cards, just showing that we're here and we can answer questions, follow up. So that's a main part of what we do, but we also support families that are interested in writing to organ recipients, or if tissue recipients write, we mm-hmm. are able to forward those letters to the donor families. Mm-hmm. We facilitate that process. And as well as if families want an update on how the recipients are doing, we're able to reach out to our transplant centers and tissue processors and get a little bit of information about the ways that their loved ones helped and the difference that they've made. So with the, you said the first communication is the outcome letter. Mm -hmm. So what does that, what is that? 
So our family services coordinators send the outcome letters to their, the organ, organ and organ tissue and I donors, but we send the outcome letter to tissue and cornea donors. And that comes from our tissue director, Mm -hmm. um, just basically saying, thank you Mm -hmm. so much. And explaining that the tissue process is a little bit different from organ donation. So their gifts actually go through a processing phase and we wouldn't be able to get any specific out like details about how many people or where those people were living or that sort of injuries that they had or that sort of thing for typically nine to 12 months. So, so it's a little bit different from the outcome letter of the family services send out. Okay. Okay. And would you say just in your time in this role, like one of the things that you talked about, and I think this is really important to highlight is about the communication process between recipient and a donor family, because really your department facilitates that. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Just so people are aware of how that works. Cause I think some people think it's just like this instant thing and yeah, it's, yeah. it's definitely, there's a process to it and it's, and there's a purpose behind that. So I'd like for you to sure. talk about that. Um, yeah. So we do see like on the news, there's the stories of <laughs> the heart recipient walking yes. the daughter down the aisle and all of that. And that's beautiful. But I would say that's not the norm. Because every recipient and every donor family handles their grief and their survivor's guilt and everything, medical bumps in the road differently. And so there isn't an exact path that people follow, but we do maintain confidentiality initially. If both parties are interested, that's a different process and discussion. But, But basically a recipient, an organ recipient or a tissue recipient is able to mail a letter here to Life Center. And then we mail the family a form saying, do you want the letter? Mm-hmm. And some families don't. They're happy with knowing. In fact, my family mm-hmm. just wanted to know my brother helped and like and doesn't they, know any other details. And they which, were good with that. Yeah. And yeah. so every family's different. So we give them the choice. Do you want this letter? And a lot of them do, but some don't. And so then once they sign that form, we mail them the letter mm-hmm. and then they can write back potentially. Okay. And the reason we do that is because a lot of times you get caught up in the moment, especially mm-hmm. depending on the point of your grief. If you're still in the early stages of shock and trying to right. figure out life, a new life with right. a person missing that is like, oh yeah, there's a, there's a letter from the recipient. That's great. There's a lot of layers that go into it of the recipients can have bumps in the, the road. They can mm-hmm. experience bouts of rejection or other medical issues that are going on, not related, but so sometimes donor families can get tied up in those emotional feelings of the recipient's health. And that's like another layer and, and personalities are different where people live, you know, maybe somebody wants to be really involved and get to know each other really well. And maybe other people just want to know that they're doing well. So it's Mm -hmm. kind of, there's a lot of layers in it's hard to predict, but we do that kind of initial screening process to allow everyone to kind of take a breath and Mm -hmm. make sure they're ready and that they're not jumping in like this donor family or this recipient's going to show up on my doorstep and we're going to have coffee (laughs) once a week or whatever. (laughs) You definitely, I think that those measures are in place for a reason. And Mm -hmm. um, I think it's just 
worked very well over the years. Uh, would you say you've seen an increase in communication, like the willing or people wanting to communicate with either the recipient or the donor family? Yeah. I feel like because of social media and yeah. things, people are much more interested or they're hearing more about donation and are wanting to write more. I do feel like we, there's definitely been an increase yeah. in correspondence just in the last five years since yeah. we started the program. Well, that's great. Yeah. That's great. And with the program, as it's evolved over the years, you do some different activities throughout the year to really express gratitude to the donors, but also to their families. And again, I I look at it as a way of just continuing to kind of let them know that Life Center supports them and and their bereavement journey. Could you talk a little bit about what it is that we do? So when I started with the aftercare program, Family Services had previously been putting on a donor family recognition ceremony, which was in-person ceremony for families from the previous calendar year. And we've continued to do that except for the couple years of the pandemic. Yes. <laughs> but, <laughs> but basically we have some speakers and like both recipient and donor families that are further out mm-hmm. in their grief journey. Um, talk, we recognize the donors, allow the family to share a photo. And then there's also opportunity to meet or talk with the staff members that they may have worked with either on over the phone or in the hospital. So that's one thing that's been ongoing for longer than I'm not sure how long Mm -hmm. it's been going on. But then with the pandemic, we decided to do a virtual version of that, which we now do in the fall. And it's been great because a lot of times, even if the donation occurred here in Cincinnati, their loved ones are in Washington state or just, you know, halfway around the world, there's people in Australia. I mean, it's, that's been really cool to see how far it's able to reach people because of the virtual option. And even people that are local that are, you know, someone called and was like, I'm disabled and my husband can't drive, or I don't know, there was a conflict. I would, we wouldn't be able to make it, but we're going to watch because we did do a live stream of the in-person ceremony this year too. So it's been neat to, to meet those or like to reach those people that we otherwise would have just been like, right. Oh, I won't go. Right. Um, right. So that's been really great. We've also added a cookout that we <laughs> have done. We did once before the pandemic and then yeah. just this past summer again, and both times we had about a hundred people, both recipients and donor families, and Life Center staff, hospital staff come in just a casual way to interact with other people who are a part of the donation and transplantation community. Mm. So that's been, it's newer, but it's been fun. And I'm, I'm still impressed that you, because this event is a family, you know, family oriented event. And because, you know, you have three small boys <laughs> who keep you on the go, like you knew, like, I've got to tie this, the scissors to the cooler so that when the kids go in to get their, their icy or whatever, oh, yeah, cut they're, the not, top off the pops. <laughs> they're not walking off with the scissor. I'm like, that is genius. I would have never thought to do that. So can't find anything in my house. <laughs> didn't keep it all down. <laughs> I understand with three, with three boys. I get that. <laughs> But that really was a, you know, it was a fun day and, you know, having donor families there. We also had 
recipients there who are donate life ambassadors mm-hmm. and just kind of seeing like he said everybody it's a very laid back you know mm-hmm. event and it was just nice I think it, it's nice for people to be able to like to be in community that way with people mm-hmm. you know who've been through cer- you know similar circumstances so I think you do a great job putting that on and then oh, all the games and everything is just so well thought out and the music and all that stuff. <laughs> I do nothing, no credit to yeah. the music. But. <laughs> and so then we talk about the donor family recognition ceremony in person. Oh, the in-person yeah. that we have. So that's in April typically mm-hmm. for the previous calendar year. And again, we have speakers and we have a slideshow with the the photos of the donors right. and that allows right the staff to connect with the families. And I think that was something with that was newer having the staff be there like an available to talk with families that they interacted with and it just at least from my perspective it seems very meaningful to both mm-hmm. both the staff and the families. Yeah, I think from just from working in the DSS you do feel connected after spending time on the phone with a family. And so getting to meet them and you want to give them a hug over the phone that day, but you can't. So, you know, just meeting them and putting a name, a face to the name is really nice for our staff. I know for sure. Yeah. And then also each family gets kind of a, a small token or gift. Yeah. We um, have a sun catcher that is made actually by like a local recycling company, which I think is cool because mm-hmm. it's local. It's just made out of like recycled glass and it says forever generous through donation. Yeah. Just something that families can have and if they want put up and. Yeah. And I think yeah. that that's a really nice treasure for them to keep and just, you know, be able again to celebrate and remember the person in their life that was a donor. Yeah. And then also, so I'd like to talk about, uh, couple years ago, the donor family council was formed. Yeah. So I think it was the end of 2018. We had our first meeting and it's about 13 ish people that have been through the donation process and are further in their grief journeys. And as we developed the aftercare program, they helped a lot with giving us feedback about what would be helpful, what isn't helpful, what is actually people mean well, but it's kind of hurtful. And right. So yeah, they've been an amazing resource for us to bounce ideas off of. And the cookout actually came from them. So it that sure was their did. idea. Yeah. yeah. So they help with events and ideas and just are kind of a sounding board for mm-hmm. us. That we're yeah. so grateful for. Yeah. They've definitely just been so incredible in that way. And one of the big takeaways that always stays with me is them talking about the importance of people saying their loved one's name, Mm -hmm. like, because then that feels like, you know, that they still are here. They, you know what I mean? It's just, they're not forgotten. Right. And um, I just thought, wow, that's really profound. You know, one of the things that we've talked about as we talk about the grief journey, and we've we've done a couple episodes around Mm -hmm. grief, um, and I know, obviously, you've you're very much entrenched in just studying and learning, and you've been in this space for so long. But ways to honor your loved one, mm-hmm. and I think 
you know, I'd love for you to talk about what your family does in oh. honor of your brother. Cause <laughs> I mean, you've been doing it for as long as I can remember. So nine years. Yeah. 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 yeah so my brother was a, he was like one of those great, like everyone's like, Oh, Pete Mosier, like he's so great, <laughs> you know, which is awesome. But also you're like, I'm just a little sister, but, um, I understand. <laughs> I, I had that same, same scenario yeah. growing up. Yeah. <laughs> I was Ellie's little sister. Yeah. <laughs> so I get it. But also it was like, yeah, I'm his little sister. Like that's awesome. <laughs> that's so cool. he was like the kid that organized mission trips in high school, like wow. to Mexico and like did study abroad clinical rotations in oh my Guatemala. I don't, I don't even know where all he went. He was just like giving back and always looking to help people who were underserved or just could use some help. So mm-hmm. he was big on service. And so my parents, my whole family, but I think it was a big way for my parents to grieve and mm-hmm. recognize him um, was that he died the first Saturday of December in 2013. So mm-hmm. every year, that first Saturday of December, we do a service day where mostly my parents organize <laughs> um, some service projects with organizations that are significant to our family and to Pete specifically. And people sign up and can help. So there are people that he's a physical therapist and he worked at Mount St. Joe oh, wow. as a professor. So there's like our family does it, our extended family. We both have big families. His w- wife as well has a large family, but also coworkers from like, I don't even know where he was a physical therapist for a year or like whatever they come yeah. out and, That's and do awesome. the projects. So we do like, we collect gifts for toy drives and nice. bake brownies for the like homeless shelter and a group of people put up. Christmas trees in the homes of elderly people oh. that wouldn't, they don't have family nearby and they yeah. wouldn't put up a Christmas tree on their own. So they go and visit the elders and decorate the tree with them. And oh, um, how nice is that? Yeah. Um, sounds like Pete was a pretty uh, spectacular individual. Yeah. And just the, the spirit of giving back and your family continuing to do that in his honor, I think is just beautiful. Yeah. So, so the department's been about five years now. Mm-hmm. How many families, how many people, like just through the different communications that you send out and this, do you, how many people do you think in a year's time that, that the department works with? It's hard to know exactly because mm-hmm. like you said, the correspondence, it could be someone that it's like been five years and they're like, okay, I want to write a letter now, which is great. And right. we're happy to support them. So as far as like tracking that, um, we're working on getting a better system for that, but um, (laughs) we're about continuous improvement. Yeah, we're always improving and that's where we're improving next. (laughs) But last year we sent out over 6,600 pieces of milestones. So the support letters, the follow-up, the anniversary cards. So some of those families got several of those milestones, but I would say... I mean, we're easily working with probably a thousand different families each year, if not more. Wow. Yeah. That is amazing. And just that's touching so many lives, you know, Mm -hmm. in in a meaningful way and kind of helping people navigate their grief. Right. And then we have our path of life in Mount Echo Park, which you named. (laughs) (laughs) 
can publicly say that <laughs> you came up with a name and I thought it was fantastic. Um, but that's also, I, you know, I see that as another avenue or just way or play or just kind of sacred space where families can go. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So we planted 40 trees for our 40th anniversary in 2021. Yes. I can't believe it's already been I know. <laughs> two years almost I know. at Mount Echo. And we have these biodegradable ribbons that we send to families. That's one of our milestones. We send to them and invite them to go to the park and tie it on a tree if they'd like. But we also offer for them to mail it back to Life Center and our donor family council members um, each month take the ribbons and tie them and have a moment of silence. Um, so again, there are people that are sending them from Texas or wherever that obviously aren't going to make a trip to tie a ribbon, right. but, um, <laughs> right. but yeah, that's been really meaningful and we've gotten a good response every month. We get a few yeah. ribbons and sometimes people choose to do it at their house to like tie a sure. ribbon on a special tree in their yard or, you know, right. whatever. But yeah, we also did a on April 30th of this past year, we did a donor remembrance day event at the park mm -hmm. um, where we had the ribbons and people could walk around and tie them on. And again, kind of an informal event, but it was a nice way for people to connect with other donor families. And our yeah. donor family council was there. And so they talked to several newer donor families and yeah, it was just a special space. Yeah. yeah. And, and I like that along the path, because there's this, you know, pavement or walking path and we have the trees, but there's also different inspirational quotes and just, you know, things that I think mm -hmm. people will find uplifting. So I think that it's really just kind of evolving into, again, like a place where people can go and reflect mm -hmm. and, and visit. And so I'm really happy that we have that. What would you say is the most rewarding part of what you do here each day at Life Center? I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> I think the most rewarding part is supporting families and them feeling like their loved one made a difference mm -hmm. and that they have a legacy in through donation. And sometimes that's in different ways, whether that's meeting a recipient or talking, you know, sending letters and some of them, it's just understanding the donation process and getting an update, like a letter that says they were able to help 45 people through mm -hmm. tissue, like, and these are the sorts of injuries or, you know, ailments that they had and, and that just bringing it full circle for them, mm -hmm. just bringing the closure and the, not that you ever have closure, but like just a sense of comfort and maybe a bit more peace about right their loss and just working in a field that was important because yeah. my brother didn't live. And so right. like carrying on his legacy is right. obviously very special to me too. And I, I think too, I think, you know, Pete's story is so profound because again, he was waiting for mm -hmm. this gift, lung transplant. And unfortunately that didn't happen, but in that he was also able to help others, mm -hmm. which I mean, that's, that's also got to make your family life. You know, this is, this is our son. This is my brother. And yeah. Yeah. And his, his wife was also, is also a physical therapist. And so she's like, he always wanted to help people walk. And now that's what he does right. as a tissue donor. So it's pretty cool. 
That's amazing. Yeah. So in your role, what, so if someone was like listening and they're thinking, man, this is just such a great job and I want to do this. Like what, what would you say that person would need to have from a skill standpoint? Oh, I think being empathetic and compassionate, being somewhat detailed oriented because every situation is slightly different. So it's not like you get this, you do that. Like sometimes you kind of have to like read between the lines and see what the the dynamics of the family are or recipient, or it, it can just be a little more complex. So being detail oriented is helpful. Medical background is good just because it but we're doing more of like the supporting mm-hmm. grief. Um, someone with like counseling or yes. social work background would be yeah. well-suited. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I think those are all, you're right, good skills and characteristics. Um, and you're right. It's like every situation is different and mm-hmm. you need to have that ability to kind of think critically, think mm-hmm. between the lines and I know sometimes we'll bounce things off of each other just to kind of think through, you know, a little bit deeper and make sure we're, you know, doing what's best for the family. So what do you find most challenging about your role? I would say the most challenging part for me is when a family is upset and Mm -hmm. sometimes, so we send all these things out and that's great. And some families love it, but we also send these out and some families do not like it. Right. <laughs> and they get upset and they call us and they tell us that. Right. And we take them off the list and it's fine. But just knowing that like something I did upset mm. made that person's grief worse or their, you know, that day or whatever it may be is hard for me. Or, you know, because if- you are so empathetic. <laughs> Profit. It's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's probably the hardest. Or when I talk to people on the phone and they're just really struggling and they're doing all the things that you're quote unquote supposed to do, going to therapy, you know, talking to other people who have been through it and they're just having a tough time. I just want to like, want to fix it. Yeah. I want to fix it and I can't. So yeah. 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 Well, and you bring up a great uh, point, you know, people are struggling as donor family members and just in our daily life, if you're, you're not a donor family member, but I wanted to just let Listeners know uh, we have resources on our website, uh, lifepassiton.org. If you just go in there, you'll find some different resources. And I think they, you know, they they can they work obviously for donor families, but mm-hmm. it's for anyone experiencing loss and struggling. Mm-hmm. And I think there's some really great tools there. So I'd encourage people to visit our website at lifepassiton.org and and check that out if that's something you know that would be helpful to you. So, um, and I know you put a lot of work into kind of creating that resource guide for, for people to be able to access. So I think that that's awesome. (laughs) So I want to thank you again for jumping in and just, you know, talking about everything that the aftercare department does to support our families. You know, I like to think of it as like this kind of evolving just it's just continuing to grow and and be better. And, you know, we've kind of added these different elements Mm -hmm. to it. And it's just really been nice, nice to see 
how it really does help our families um, in a meaningful way. And I think that, you know, that's the ripple effect of donation in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. so I appreciate everything that you do and all of the compassion that you bring into the the building every day when you come in and just working with families, because that can be tough. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure there are times where it's like, my cup is not, I don't, I don't have a full cup, you know, and mm-hmm. you balancing home and all that. So thank you for all that you do. Oh, thank I know you. Absolutely. <laughs> and so again, thank you for your time. And I just want to remind our listeners that as I close every episode that today there are 104,934 men, women, and children who need a life-saving organ transplant. And 21 of those individuals will die today because the organ they needed was not available. This is how you can help. If you are not a registered donor, please seek out the information, seek out the truth, do your research, learn what being a donor truly means. You can talk with a medical professional, connect with someone who has gone through the experience uh, as either a donor family member, a recipient, or a living donor. That's how we learn. We learn through the sharing of information. Um, And so I just encourage you, you can visit our website at lifepassiton.org. There is just a plethora of information and resources available to you there. And then finally, again, you can register to be an organ, eye, and tissue donor and really learn more about perhaps being a living kidney donor, because the vast majority, almost 90,000 of the people on that waiting list need a life-saving kidney transplant. Again, I want to wish everyone a happy and healthy and safe new year. And I want to thank everyone for listening. And just please be kind to yourself and to others. Take care. Thanks again. This episode is brought to you by LifeSetter. Are you interested in saving someone's life by becoming a living donor? You have the potential to help save and enhance the lives of others, those who suffer from chronic illness or the effects of traumatic events. Statistics have shown that a new name is added to the national waiting list every 10 minutes. You have the opportunity to help others and save lives. You have the power to donate life. By offering a kidney or a portion of the liver, living donors offer their loved one or friend an alternative to waiting on the National Transplant Waiting List for an organ from a deceased donor. Today, the number of living donors is more than 7,300 per year, and one in four of these donors is not biologically related to the recipient. Go to Life Pass It On for more information. Thanks to Life Center for their continued support. Thank you for listening to This Thing Called Life. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcast to make sure you get updates on all new episodes. And we would truly appreciate it if you would share, like, or give us a review to help us grow. 